Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome everybody to the best central ever, and that is because Ross McLeod is nowhere near it this week. It is me, it is Sarah, I am the reigning queen of ESSR, despite what David Campbell may say. But welcome to ESSR Central, where we have a nice wee look at the past goings on, um, just to sort of see what we think about it. And don't forget, as always, make sure you're subscribed to us on your preferred podcasting platform, so that could be Android, it could be Skype, we might be on Skype, it may be on Spotify, iTunes, all good Android podcasting sites, you can find us, just search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, and also make sure that you are following us on all social media, because as human beings we like to gab, we like to talk shite on Twitter, we like to talk shite on Facebook, so follow us at Suplex Retweet, and that is on all social media platforms, including YouTube, where soon to be coming up will be Quiz Showdown 12, I think we're on now. Beyond done. Oh, we're on 13 now. Oh, no, sorry, you're right. You know it's 12. Dave. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the usual botch. <laughs> Mr. Botchamania is back, everybody. It is yes. David Hockney. Yep, one of the, the three regulars here on Central, back to my old uh, botch of Rager ways. You know, I think it's... You know, it's, it's been a while since I've re- revisited this character, but, you know, it's always good to make a comeback. I uh, know, it's, it's been a while, but that's because you've not had the opportunity to watch as many times, because we're not in the studio, Dave. You have, yeah, you have your true. laptop, and you have your computer in front of you with all the facts, not just off the top of your head. That is very true. <laughs> and joining us as well this week is a man that is like me. He loves the Scottish independence, maybe as much as he loves... You know, hate everybody else. But when it comes to Scottish independence, we don't have any of that. We have the US and Japan independent experts with us today. It is Graham McRobbie. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been a while since I've been on Central. Got the best people. No McLeod, he's been a slacker. I'm not feeling well. He's probably just putting on the voice. I was waiting for the voice note. I don't feel so good. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the chest. I'm sick. What are the symptoms? I can't be arsed with anything or anyone. (laughs) Well, to that, Ross, we say, boo, you whore. (laughs) Because he can't come out, he's sick. Screw you, Ross, right? Because I, we have got the best central ever this week because there's been a lot, a lot of goings on in the past week. We have branched out from having a stellar weekend in wrestling to even fun things happening throughout the week. It has been, it has been fun, guys. We are officially exiting the COVID era of wrestling. How does that make, how does it make you feel? Oh, electric. Like, you know, just watching the, the events, like the pay-per-views this past weekend and, you know, the first SmackDown with a crowd in about 16 months, like the energy was palpable and it, it almost sort of made you fall in love with wrestling again. Like, you know, that feeling when you, you you just feel like it's just happening in an empty arena and there's no atmosphere. That whole atmosphere just returned like in the space of of a few days. And 
you know, they delivered some of the best content ever. It makes you really, really appreciate everything that we've missed. Oh yeah, and Grant, this weekend it was the f- it was the first time to have some fans, especially for some some of the promotions. Um, how does that? It makes you feel. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, from AEW kind of starting off proceedings last Wednesday with fans, and then SmackDown with fans. The atmosphere is great, and I actually think, looking at it impartially, it, it kind of shows you how much the fans can drive even an average segment up a grade just by being hot. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think we ha- we already had some of that with AEW. They were starting to bring fans back a lot sooner, but even then, they had their dark talent. Um, acting as if the the fans in the heels for a wee while, but now it, it's it's made WWE feel slightly interesting again, especially because they brought it back for the weekend leading up to Money in the Bank. Now I admit I don't watch the WWE. I basically I'll watch the pay per views maybe, uh, unless with the big four. But Dave, the first WWE show back in front of a live crowd. I mean. How much do you think that actually changed the atmosphere of the SmackDown leading into Money in the Bank? Uh, I tell you what, it's um, they completely pressed the reset button when it came to uh, SmackDown in particular because they got a new set in, they got new Titantrons for all the superstars. It had that that sort of re- almost a, almost a WrestleMania vibe about it because usually when WrestleMania comes around, either they, they upgrade the Titantrons in such a fancy way. Or they get like extra pyro and stuff. Like the the setup they had there, you know, it wasn't like you know the old Fox SmackDown set where I had the, those sorts of uh, sort of C shape arches at the top, you know, which sort of condensed the stage a little bit. This was a much this felt like on a much bigger scale, and it's like WWE said, right, you know what, we're getting rid of the Thunderdome finally. We're getting fans back. Let's just let's just throw everything out there and make it the biggest spectacle, the most must watch. Smackdown of all time and they did so you know with a with a main event caliber match to open the show like with the Roman and the Usos going against Edge and the Mysterios like I would expect that to go on last but I think obviously the vibe of like any of these big shows is that you need something to kick you off the right way and this was the best way to do it oh yeah definitely no so that was a big storyline leaning into money in the bank and for once it felt like an actual proper way to go into these matches because Grant, you and I will be familiar with the fact when they lead up to like the biggest matches at New Japan, they won't have them go one-on-one, they'll be in tag matches in the lead up to sort of get that tension building um, but what I wanted to talk about was there was one return in particular that was preset for Smackdown um, when WWE went and tweeted out that, um, that it was too sweet and it was for everybody um, obviously hinting that Finn Balor was going to make his return to SmackDown um, and back to the main brand after his short stint as the Prince back in NXT. Grant, see, did they did that really need to get in like sort of teased the night before? Or do they think they could have just gotten away with bringing Finn Balor back unannounced? I think it would have been better doing it unannounced. Um, but you know, they they could have teased something still going on in NXT, so. The fact that it kind of dropped off the radar on NXT, they missed, a, they missed an opportunity because Balor does, he gets the crowd going. Everyone loves him. Um, hopefully he goes back to being a heel again, though, because I love the heel persona in NXT, the Prince. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think the Prince is probably the best the best stuff he's done 
in WWE in years. But Dave, do you agree with Grant? Do you think it it was right for WWE to sort of tease that return, given the fact it was a hashtag that was very like familiar with Finn Balor, and um, especially after his um, all-inclusive WrestleMania entrance? Yeah, because obviously, you know, the idea of ge- genuine surprises, uh, and I imagine we'll get to that in a bit later on. But this one, I think it was a good way to sort of get more eyes on the product, particularly with like diehard fans, because, you know, a casual audience, you know, that's been waiting for WWE audience to come back. I think they're going to tune in regardless, but I think you needed a little extra something to sell it to the those fans that needed something a little extra. And I mean... Having it being a genuine surprise would be good for like a takeover, but I think for a, a live SmackDown audience, you need to sort of plant plant a seed to say like, oh, this is intriguing. Will he actually turn up? Like, I think it worked in this case because he still Finn still got like a massive pop, and my only hope is he continues the Prince gimmick as well. I mean, given you know he still kept the sort of Prince sort of Titantron and stuff, I think he is going to do that. Will it work as a face character though? I'm not so sure because I think he's better as a tweener with that character. But yeah. Basically, for the casual audience, it was great for them. But for the other people, like a genuine surprise, it didn't really work with diehard fans. I think you needed something to really make them tune in. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I mean, it was very good to see Finn Balor come back. But there's also they they did actually um, set up the the feud for him, um, and that's going to be happening in the coming weeks again. Sami Zayn. So it's two former hearts of NXT going up against one another um, and we'll hope to see if um, what fun can be had from that but we also had various other things happening they were teasing part of the, the ladder match when there was a, a four-way match that was going on between Big E, Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura and Seth Rollins uh, and they also had the Smackdown Women's Championship match uh, of Bianca Belair versus Carmella. They've see because and um, Obviously, Bianca Belair was meant to face Bailey at Money in the Bank. Do you think moving the SmackDown Women's Championship match to be in the like on the first show with fans was probably a better idea for them to do? Yeah, because obviously it gives Bianca, you know, a reason to defend her title, and it, it's just Bailey's injury seems to have been a major setback for the SmackDown roster, particularly Bianca's reign. Because looking at the the Money in the Bank poster, she was the sole advertised superstar on the promotional poster so i think they definitely put a lot of investment into bailey and bianca and this was the next best thing they could have done given that you know carmella you know she's been heavily heavily picked out as a favorite by sonia deville so it was a good way to sort of keep keep that going you know sort of get a title defense in there some way but it was just a shame it couldn't happen at money in the bank but again it wasn't it wasn't anybody's fault it was just something that happened out of their control and she is scheduled to have a rematch this week as well mm-hmm Oh yeah, well I would say it was de- it was definitely a good way to kick off um, the weekend. Essentially, like one of the bigger weekends um, that we'll have in wrestling, especially with Money in the Bank. Everyone loves Money in the Bank time when that comes around, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later. And um, but we'll we'll move on to this the first night of the wrestling weekend, and Impact were hosting their annual Slammiversary pay per view. Uh, again, first one back in front of fans. Um, I don't know if you guys will agree with me, but it felt a little bit like an indie show, just for the reduced capacity. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I was actually surprised they didn't try getting more fans in for it, and especially with, as we'll talk about some of the massive things that happened. But at the same time, the crowd were red hot 
for being so small. Mm-hmm. But in all fairness, like NXT normally has like really small audiences too, except you know maybe on takeovers and you know Slammiversary might be a a notable exception here, but. I always find like smaller crowds, smaller passionate crowds are just as loud and as just as involved, you know, as like a, a massive arena full of casual fans. And because, you know, we've been to we've been enough to been to enough ICW shows to know that, you know, you can still have an amazing show and the crowd doesn't need to be more than just a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And like Grant said, this was an extremely fun-filled show from start to finish. Um, like we had a, a knockouts tag team match on the pre-show, where the the newly formed tag team of Rosemary and Havoc, Havoc literally joining Decay, um, for this to come together, uh, accompanied with Black Taurus and Crazy Steve, defeated Fire and Flavor, Kiara Hogan and Tasha Steeles. I think it was probably the right thing to do. Um, I don't know if anyone feels the same, but Havoc and Nevea just weren't cutting it as a tag team for me. I mean, Havoc and Rosemary Grant, it's much better, isn't it? Yeah. As a team, they visually look much more compatible as a team right from the get-go, since a big part of your tag team is the image. It kind of it actually looks like a cohesive team rather than two individuals just kind of bandied together. And Fire and Flavor have done really good carrying the Knockouts tag division so far, but they needed a severe, a, a proper challenge to take the belts because otherwise you're in danger of how do you dethrone them? Who can do it? Oh, yeah. Well, it was like the very, very short short reign of Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering. Um, but obviously that clearly was not... It was just there for the pop of, the pop of Rachel Ellering coming back. Well, not even coming back. Returning to wrestling. Um and obviously debuting in the company, something for Jordan to do. Um, but Dave, I'm going to bring us on to the opening match of the show, which it's a very impact TNA thing to do, and it was mm-hmm. the return of Ultimate X. I mean, yeah. just even the even the announcement. I know me and the McLeods um, maybe speculated because Josh Alexander kept saying he was the king of the mountain that it was going to be a king of the mountain match. And that probably was the original plan. Um, but they brought back Ultimate X um, for the match with Josh Alexander defending his X Division Championship against Ace Austin, Chris Baby, my baby, uh, Petey Williams, Rohit Raju, and Trey Miguel. I mean, you've got six of the best that's in the X Division right now. It felt only fitting that the first show back in front of fans was going to be an Ultimate X match. Yeah, definitely. Like, there's no had an Ultimate X match in over two years, I think, and that was at United We Stand in April 2019. So it had just been just after WrestleMania that year. Uh, but yeah, X Division. I recall. I think there was. A, I think it might have been in sort of the mid 2000s where. Uh, you had guys like uh, Chris Sabin, Austin Aries, Jeff Hardy, Samoa Joe, like all these names competing in matches like that. Uh, and it was, that's, and it's it's just such a unique concept, you know, having the title hanging between like two ropes in the shape of an X and you have to literally have to climb forward to it rather than sort of climb a ladder or whatever. And I've seen many, many spots where in this match where it was just, some of the most outrageous spots like created by any anybody in the X division. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just such a unique concept and it works for a company like 
like TNA, especially when they've got something known as the X Division. So, and it's it brings in a sort of fresh batch of superstars as well who probably never competed in a well. Obviously, Ace Austin's competed in the the previous one, but. I think guys like Rohit Raju, Trey Miguel, it's good for these guys, you know, to really get stuck into something that defined TNA's sort of upper mid-card division. Mm-hmm. And Grant, I don't know um, about you, but for me, Rohit Raju stole the show in this match. It was, it was a side to him that I, had, I hadn't necessarily seen, like that love and more comedic side. Um, but for me, he stole the show. But who, who stole the show in terms of that match for you? For me, um, I'm I'm going with Alexander. Alexander's been a, a huge favourite of mine in, in the X Division ever since he's kind of went in his singles run. And that spot with the ankle lock, oh, absolutely incredible. I was like, wait, is he doing an ankle lock while hanging from the ropes of the Ultimate X? This is absolutely fucking nuts. <laughs> it, it, it was a six-way submission for me. I was like, what are you guys doing? That and the, uh, the Canadian Destroyer to Chris Bay. While he was up on the shoulders. That scared me. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. It it was definitely, for me, the best way to open the match. I mean, you had a whole bunch of spots. It was fun. And it it just set the entire tone for the night. You, like, start off strong. um, And it was great to see Josh Alexander retain his championship. I would have been happy with anybody. um, If it had been Chris Baby, then I probably would have, like, screamed. um, Because... I don't know, I'm him at the moment and um, we actually saw, I actually saw this on via Twitter um, that they announced the, the video, the package after the match of Chris Bay going to his cha- uh, going to his dressing room and Rohit Baju's obviously in it, they're not happy uh, and then Chris picks up a, a, a t-shirt says Rohit take your t-shirt with you and Rohit says that isn't mine and Grant, what what did he turn around and see on that T-shirt? Bullet Club, baby. Yeah, it's so, happening. Yes. So, so, Dave, I don't know if you'd seen that, but there's. No, I did. I did catch a glimpse of that. Yeah. Yeah. So the the whole Chris baby, you know, Bullet yeah, Club. Yeah, it's a play. On, yeah, I know. I know. It's a play on Adam Cole. No, I wasn't about to say that. Oh. <laughs> um, but we'll talk about. Uh, just like that a little bit more just after the main event um, and the second match that was coming up it was an intergender tag team match that was going to be happening Brian Myers and Tenille Dashwood had decided to attack Matt Cardona and Matt was um, challenged by finding a female partner of his own it was probably the most obvious thing that was going to happen was that his current fiance Chelsea Green had been cleared to join Matt Cardona in a match so uh, yeah, it was just a, a regular match. It was nice to see Chelsea back, and, but I, for me, it's always um, I just want to see Caleb with a K and Sam Beal become a tag team now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I because I remember Ross and Scott talked about this uh, on last week. You know, we were trying to figure out you know who Matt Cardona's partner was it be, but was it really going to be anyone else besides? Chelsea Green, because I know yeah. she, I know our status was up in the air because of our injuries and stuff. But I mean, you had to be a little bit optimistic about it, and it, it booking wise, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it was a little bit up in the air considering that the week before Chelsea Green had actually appeared at Ring of Honor um, to say that she was going to be part of the the women's division there, um, so it might just be a one-off appearance. Just um, 
some Maybe. sort of last minute thing and um, we don't know but um grant do you think there would have been anybody else that matt could have chosen for this match there's no one logically I can think of because I mean I know a bunch of us talked about different options but I mean for example I think when someone mentioned the Iconics but you, you couldn't really choose one without the other and it wouldn't make sense in my opinion so oh, yeah. it, it just had to be Chelsea Green and it was a fun match to me it was a kind of it was a kind of throwaway match it was something to kind of fill the card a bit but it was still it was really fun for what oh, it yeah. was it was really fun and we've we seen like it, I think it's all also quite nice that you know Tenille's still got a very like working relationship with like Matt and Brian considering that we, it's it's well known knowledge that Tenille is the ex-girlfriend of Matt Cardona um, ex-fiance no ex-fiance there you go um, and they, they played into that kayfabe side knowing that like you know it's common knowledge and it, see, it still seemed to play out quite well um, and going on to our, our next match was um, I was quite shocked by this match. It was quite hard to get started, I think. Um, but we had W. Morrissey taking on Eddie Edwards. Um, Dave, how look? How does Morrissey look since he came back? He looks brilliant. Like you know, the former big Cass uh, was um, you know he was going through some tough times. You know, after he was let go by WWE a few years ago. And he's been he's been very open about you know his mental health struggles. You know he's been uh, he's been he was drinking a lot. He was I think he had a seizure at one point as well during an, uh, an event a few years ago. Uh, but he's turned himself around so well. You know he's in brilliant shape and he looks he looks like he's had a a, a massive second wind, you know, having to sign with, with TNA and getting a, a pinfall win over Eddie Edwards, who's obviously a former Impact World Champion. I mean, that's that's a, that's a big, big get for him, you know, considering the, you know, like I said, you know, the, the state he was in a few years ago, he's, he's just completely turned things around. And I, I, just, I just wish him every success, you know, with Impact going forward. And uh, you can't teach that. <laughs> I mean, as long as we don't see, like, Enzo kicking around anytime soon uh, let, um, let's let's focus on Morrissey as a, as a solo guy let's not worry about Enzo yeah and Grant for Eddie Edwards to be Morrissey's like sort of first big feud uh, it's not even like a massive feud I mean it's just him saying you shouldn't make friends in the industry essentially this is what he's getting at um, because we know that Ed- everyone loves Eddie Edwards yeah, I mean, that's Eddie's been such a mainstay in Impact. He's had some of the best feuds. To me, his feud with Callahan a couple of years Aww. back was absolutely incredible viewing beginning to end. And Morrissey is, because I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I was never a fan of him back at WWE and stuff like that. I, was, I just never took to him. He's like a different man now. He is driven in this whole kind of monster on the warpath. He's pulling it off really well. The match started slow. They found their stride midway through. If they kind of got what they got midway through, if they could have got that right from the beginning, really this match could have been a show stealer. Yeah, I mean, so, sometimes the the chemistry just clicks straight away, and sometimes it just takes you a wee hot minute. Um, I think uh, I think Morris is just trying to find his feet, find his style, um, especially if he's you know wrestling in bloody big Timberlands. That's <laughs> what Timberlands and jeans, mate. You can't do it. Well, maybe Braun Strowman can sort of do it. Yeah, but that's Braun. Ah, and they're about the same size. 
They're like, yeah, but he wears like army boots, not Timberlands. All right, okay. <laughs> you can't wrestle in Timberlands, the soles are too thick. And if also, I think if you get hit in the face with them, you're like, it'll hurt. Well, that's it's going to be like Jail of Dark and the Fierce Females imprint on it. Yeah, it will, it will leave a boot imprint <laughs> if you get big booted in Timberlands. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like that was just a solid 11 minute on the dot match. Um, but see, after this, you had Madman Phil and his Shara obviously arguing their way out to the ring. They had no idea where this was going because they were banned from ringside. Um, it's about because of Chris Baby um, for the Ultimate X match, and they were arguing. And basically, Scott Demore, the lovely Scott Demore, comes out and basically just says, "You know what? I've got a team that's going to just take care of you." And Grant, did you expect Finjus to be returning to Impact so quickly? I was not expecting that. I thought they were just kind of taking a wee break from things in general, and perhaps going to be heading back to Japan for. I thought they might have been like a surprise appearance for the Dome this coming Sunday, but I was wrong. I mean, they might still appear at the Dome to do something. Sadly sadly (laughs) not. It's impossible with the quarantine rules because they've got to be back for resurgence in the middle of August. Was this not? This was a squash match, was it not? Yeah, where Finn just squashed Madman Fulton and Sharon one minute 15 seconds. (laughs) Badness. Uh, but yeah, it was it was still like a fun thing to see uh, Finjus back as well because we hadn't seen them since like they dropped the titles um, to it was Violent by Design that they dropped the titles to um, and went back to back to Japan and then we had the next match it was for me it was a good midway like midway show match and it was Chris Sabin and Moose having Moose do his entrance in front of the fans. I, I don't know about you guys, but I love Moose's entrance. <laughs> Moose? Well, not quite like that, but it's it's more the demeanor of when he walks in. And he, he was wearing like full sparkles and like showing just like, yeah, I'm the wrestling god. I am Mr. Impact Wrestling. Um, and Chris Saban, after, after months and months of this building, especially, you know, getting attacked in Swinger's Palace, I mean, that's just... You don't do that in Swinger's Palace. But that is that is just a pull to Mr. Johnny Swinger himself. Um, but Dave, Chris Saban being able to come out on top and showing that he is still one of the top guys in Impact, despite maybe being a little bit older um, and being around Impact for so long, it just it just shows that he is still he's still got it. Yeah, he's pushing forty now, and you know it looks like he hasn't aged in in years. But I only really know him properly from his uh, from his time as Motor City Machine Guns. But he's really sort of come out on his own as a single star, and you know him getting a victory over Moose, and again, which again could be almost like a, a sort of true breakout moment as a single star. You know, going over Moose in the same way that Morrissey went over Eddie Edwards. Like this is uh, this is really good for him, and I hope you know he gets a shot at the possibly even gets shot at the Impact World Title at some point. Hail Saban. Hail Saban. I mean, Grant, were you maybe hoping that Alex Shelley was going to make a return? Because, um, it was the first show back in front of fans. It was live and he possibly might have been able to do it. I've been praying for Shelley's return. I've been absolutely <laughs> praying for it. But I just know that I just know until it's the right time with a pandemic because of his job. Yeah. I know he, I know he won't ever risk his patience with him being such a big time physio and that. So 
it, it does mean to me though when when Shelley does reappear, there will probably be more fans, and the pop will be absolutely outrageous. Well, yeah, but for me, I, I would say this was definitely a solid match. Um, it worked to to both the men's favour, and I'm quite I'm quite interested to see where they both go from this. Um, and then moving on, we had the tag team title match, which was a four-way tag team match. Violent by Design were going to be defending their titles against Rich Swan and Willie Mack, the good brothers of Doc Gallus and Carl Anderson, and what was originally Falaba and TJP. But it was announced that TJP was not going to be at Slammiversary, so there was going to be a mystery partner for Falaba. Uh, did either of you guys expect it to be No Way, formerly known as Jose? No Way. Navy. <laughs> um, so yeah, when obviously we know Falaba likes going no, 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 and then he says no way, Jose, and it was nice to have the conga line as well. <laughs> I missed, I missed that conga line. Uh, it's just a shame as well because obviously no way, Jose was treated like trash in, in WWE. Like he was basically just like a, it, he almost felt like a, a halftime show kind of guy he wasn't really treated seriously as a competitor he was very much one to sort of job out uh other sort of upcoming talents and i'm pretty sure he held the record for shortest time in the 2019 royal rumble at just uh, i think it was two seconds so not as quick as santino but still pretty damn quick <laughs> and yeah he i think it was just only a matter of time until he got released uh, which is a real shame but now that he's you know He's, again, a former WWE guy who's been given new life in Impact. For him to immediately get thrown into the Impact World title scene, I think him and Falaba uh, could potentially go somewhere, you know, I mean, given how much given how much chemistry they had with just their entrance alone. Oh, so not the fact that T3P's an anti-masker and I just don't like him. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually prefer No Way Jose and Falaba. I don't know if, Grant, do you feel the same? Yeah, there's a lot more. It's, it's a fun team. Like you know, they're they're a team that you know. Do I see them like holding the tag belts? Probably not. Do I see them being very entertaining though, and really getting over by a crowd? Hell yes. Oh yeah, and it was also fun just seeing the 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 sort of energy that you had when Rich Swan and Willie Mack obviously dancing when No Way Jose was coming down to the ring. It's getting all happy, getting all into it. Um, and then you had the complete polar opposite with Joe Doring and you know Rhino. <laughs> <laughs> with Violent by Design but um, the Good Brothers were the, the ones to come out on top um, by uh, Doc Gallus pinning Joe Doring I'm pretty sure to the big boys but do you think that the right people won this match uh, Grant? Of course I do we know I'm a big I'm, I'm a big <laughs> su- I'm, I'm a big mark for the Good Brothers I love those two so much I was hoping that they would win those belts Yeah and Dave, two-time Impact um, Tag Team Championships mm-hmm. that, uh, for the Good Brothers. Do you think the right people won this match? I do, actually, yeah, because see the remainder of this show, it very much sort of ventures into Forbidden Door territory because Impact still has that partnership with AEW and, you know, Gals and Anderson are going to be continuing to make appearances on AEW alongside Kenny Omega. And I'm pretty sure they're teaming with Omega and the Bucks at Fight for the Fallen against uh, Hangman and the Dark Order. So it's, Fine. again, the Forbidden Door crossover is definitely going to help these guys, you know, get their get their stock up. You know, 
a brand's champions appearing on two different shows. I mean, it's look how good it's done for Kenny Omega. Like he and the Elite are are benefiting massively because of it. And adding the titles onto Gallows and Anderson again is just another step forward. Yeah, and carrying on the championship matches and the surprise um, additions to um, the actual Impact Slammiversary show. So we had Chelsea Green making her return to Impact. We had No Way. Um, making his debut, Finjuice returning, and then Diana Perazzo was set to defend her knockouts um, championship against a mystery opponent. I don't think any of us expected it to be Thunder Rosa, however. No, no. didn't even have a scooby on that one. I could yeah. not for the life of me figure it out. It was because uh, everybody was thinking it was going to be Mickey James because uh, obviously her ninety-day no-compete clause kit was coming to an end, but. When you see it was actually Thunder Rosa, like, I wasn't mad at it because, you know, Thunder Rosa's been making waves in AEW and then you think, oh, wait a minute, but that still comes back to the AEW Impact Forbidden Door, kind of. So you think, mm-hmm. actually, that's a pretty good choice for her. But not to take anything away from Diana Perazzo, she's been absolutely brilliant as Knockouts champion and she has solidified herself as the big, the big bad final boss you know when you know in NXT she was just treated as a as a random face in the crowd. Like she, I'm so pleased with how much progress she's made. Yeah, she has become the face of the Knockouts division, uh, if not like one of the strongest females out there. And at such a young age as well that she's she's re- she's basically taken what she knew as the character the virtuosa mm-hmm. and taken impact as her own. And it was a very, very solid match. Like It was probably like one of my favourite matches that I've seen um, in terms of women's wrestling. And then post-match, Diana was just going to make a speech and she was interrupted by the resurrected Mickey James. Now, for anyone who does not watch Impact, Mickey James was killed by a train before she, <laughs> te- before she technically made her return to WWE. Um, so... Yeah. And we know that Becky James is going to be holding her own all-women's pay-per-view with NWA, and she was formally inviting Diana Perazzo to be part of that that show. Um, whereas Diana just decided that she was not getting her moment, the usual virtuosa, and basically slapped Mickey James, t- telling her to take her trash bag and go home. Oh. Um, so we've probably got it set up. It's probably going to be Resurgence uh, or Bound for Glory. We will probably see Mickey James returning to the Impact Zone to take on Diana Perazzo if she does not lose um, her Knockouts uh, Championship to the scarily Susan that is that's, that's running around because Susan knew that Sue Young was there all along. And I'm scared for it. <laughs> well, I mean, TNA's next big event, or Impact's next big event is Bound for Glory. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is that not like their equivalent of WrestleMania? Very much. That's like their biggest show of the yeah. year, Bound for Glory. Like, I, yeah, I think they'd be doing themselves an injustice if they didn't have Diona versus Mickey James at that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it's going to happen. Um uh, I don't know when Mickey's uh, All Women's show actually does happen for NWA, but if it does happen before Bound for Glory, it would be a perfect way to set up that match. Just c- cross-promotion. on. Obviously, people tend to forget Thunder Rosa was also uh, an NWA Women's Champion. So again, there's actually a three-way um, deal that seems to be going on. 
that's um, happening right now. And to finish off the show, we had one of the best matches that I have seen in a long time. It was Kenny by God Omega with the Invisible Hand Don Callis taking on Sammy Callahan in a no DQ match. Grant, this is what we needed, isn't it? Yeah, this was the match of the night and a contender for match of the year so far in 2021. And just before I mention it, going into that, I checked it. The NWA pay-per-view for the women is at the end of August, bound for glorious October. Oh, dang! Oh, yes, perfect. Plenty plenty of opportunities, but yes, this no-DQ match. I mean, they call it no-DQ, it was bordering on a death match. This was a wonderful, violent piece of television to watch, and I loved every second of it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you could have gotten any, any better from this. I mean, you had Grant Break it down. What did we have? We had Sammy Callahan with a fork. The pizza slicer. <laughs> the pizza slicer. We had what else did we have, Christ? We had salt. Oh, Any shit, pepper? We did. No pepper, sadly. But oh. with a fork uh, and a pizza uh, No knife either. You know, half the kitchen pretty much. Oh, for God's sake, consistency. <laughs> Sorry, I made a joke about that this week when it came to AW. We'll talk about that later. Um <laughs> But there was so many things going on in this no DQ match, and I think um, also having Don Callis on commentary, making Matt Stryker get out of his seat and stand to commentate this entire like this entire match was pure genius and playing to the heel concept of Don Callis as well. Having recently been fired by Tommy Dreamer. Yes, that wonderful bit of story. Callis has been the the kind of like the pig playing figure the whole time and getting stripped of all his power and impact. It looked like Impact were really trying to put things against Omega, letting Callahan loose in a no DQ match. Even with Omega's best bout machine potential, the draw is a deadly man uh, when there's no rules around. Oh yeah, I mean, let's just face it, we've all seen what Sammy Callahan is capable of when he is not mm-hmm. bound by rules. Um, and going up against Kenny Omega made no difference. Like, yeah, he, he did get defeated, um, but the match was nearly half an hour, and both men were bleeding. You've seen it this week on uh, on AEW that Kenny was still fashioning a plaster, a big massive plaster on his forehead, um, from the from the cut from the fork in the pizza cutter, which, oh. Having a fork. It's like, who mm. brings a fork? It's like Sammy's just carrying around a fork just because. It's, it, it feels like he's Joey. It's like, just. <laughs> right, what, what are we, we having? Have? What do we have? Ooh, deathmatch. Yay. <laughs> so it's that sort of thing. But the big thing came at the end of this show. Grant, the switchblade sounds didn't even hit. And I think everyone was just like, what? Because it's Bullet Club. The switchblade saw like the the sound hit. What was going through your head when you noticed that it was going to be Jay White, the current Never Openweight Champion, to appear at the end of this? Considering that they did mention his name during the tag team match, because David Finlay does have an upcoming match with Jay White, but to see him appear and to stare down Kenny Omega, the former head of Bullet Club, against the current head of the of the Bullet Club. Oh. See, to put this into context, right? I was 
I had been at the pub all night and I stayed up to watch this. So by the time I was watching this, by this time when you're like four in the morning, I was absolutely fucking miraculous. There was no one in the house. The parents were away overnight. I fucking screamed the house down with excitement. I was shouting at the telly, come on, Jay, fucking yes, here we fucking go. <laughs> I, oh, I was absolutely buzzing the fact that he came out with that never open weight title. And yep, Finlay was mentioned earlier, the tension of him looking at Omega because who did Omega lose that, that US title belt to when he was in Japan? <laughs> he lost it to the Switchblade. To the boy that he tried to bring into Bullet Club as well. It's a long-term storytelling at its best. And oh. how, they, how they ended that with <gasps> them offering the two sweet and Jay White refusing any movement <laughs> and cutting the feed. The only thing I wish they kept the feed on for was apparently the whole Finjuice attack afterwards. Yeah, um, it seemed to be a very, very shoot cut because the commentators were still going. Like, D'Lo and Matt were still talking. They didn't really mm. finish that. Um, so it, was, it felt like a very abrupt ending. But to know that it was Finjuice that was going to come out, obviously, it was mentioned that David Finley does have that never weight championship match against Jay White uh, coming up. I'm not too sure when it'll be. Um, Grant, do you know when it might be? I know it is due to happen in the middle of August at New Japan Resurgence, August 14th. It's their first show in America with fans back and the card is going to be stacked because apparently the open weight belt will be on the line, the US strong open weight belt will be on the line and the IWGP US title will be on the line. Mm -hmm. Then we'll talk a bit about that later as well. Um, And we'll move on to the Sunday night. So this is like the second night of our wrestling film weekend. Impact fans, clearly happy. Any wrestling fans, happy. And then we're going to come on to what would be the fifth pay-per-view, like the big five, as I would like to call it, even though it's technically not five, it's four. Um, <laughs> but we had our our one of our favourite pay-per-views um, collectively as the podcast, even as wrestling fans in general. It was Money in the Bank time. And I don't know about you guys, but I I always hyped for Money in the Bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. Like it's the it's the one pay per view of the year outside of the big four that I'm always looking forward to. Not just because I enjoy ladder matches, but it just goes to show like it it's basically WWE picking and choosing who's going to be their future stars. You know, with the Money in the Bank contract because. It's been cashed in enough times to know that whoever gets it is probably going to successfully cash in. You know, odds, not guaranteed by any means, but certainly very, very likely. So it's it's an exciting time to watch this this pay-per-view in particular. Yeah, and we had the breakdown. So the, the, the opening match, you had the Usos taking on the Mysterios for the uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championship, which was, uh, again, working through the current storyline of the Bloodline taking on um, Mysterios, essentially, as well as uh, Edge. So this was a good way to... I think this is a good way to open up uh, open up the show. And it, it just so happened that what I've probably... What I've seen coming, or what probably a lot of us seen coming, did happen... And the, the Usos kicked off the show and won the Tag Team Championship. Now, we just need to address the elephant in the room. Jimmy Uso getting a DUI and getting arrested, but he gets rewarded with the Tag Team Championship. Do not like. Do not like. This is a big example of WWE that try to 
play out to the public image and look good. But if someone does something like that, there's no repercussions. Fuck Vince. Fuck him big time. Mm. And it's just so much inconsistency as well. Because I remember when Jack Swagger got a uh, a DUI in 2013 because he was under the influence of weed, I think. Uh, His push was completely derailed right after WrestleMania. So I don't know if maybe they're going to sort of continue with the storyline right up until whether it's SummerSlam or beyond or wherever it ends up. And then that's when they'll punish him. So I I think they might just be holding off until, because I discussed this with Ross and we said, if if this is his fourth DUI in like two years or something, like he needs, he needs to get help for it. Or at the very least he has to face repercussions. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I wasn't happy when I seen um, that he had, Returned basically to SmackDown with maybe a slap on the wrist at, at most, going like, "Don't do it again." We've kind of got stuff happening, um, but it's happened. Like we've see, we've seen in the past when wrestlers have been like pulled over, um, more so like the very common knowledge of Jeff Hardy um, when he's um, been under the influence try to put it nicely um yeah under the influence that it's not gone well for him it's not gone well for other superstars so it kind of feels like uh one rule for one person one for another especially because the usos are involved in one of the biggest feuds that's going on in wwe right now um so i don't know if it's going to be a long haul uh if the mysterio is going to get it back maybe when roman eventually drops the belt who who knows it's weird to see a title change on the pre-show as well because it's not that often you see that happen. Normally, the the kickoff show is meant to just be for just to get the crowd warmed up. And I, I was watching this match like uh, straight through the night, and I was watching this. I'm thinking, yeah, I think they're probably just going to retain this, and then they'll drop at the SummerSlam. But there was a a lot of near falls in this match, in particular, where you know you thought the Usos might just get it, but then obviously the Mysterios will pull it back and then they'll pull out a sneaky win, just like they did in their first title defence against the, against the Usos. But to see the Usos do a roll-up with an assist by Jay, you know, like pushing like pushing his legs into Jimmy's back for extra support, like that was such a creative finish, but also a very screwy finish for the Mysterios. So it gives them reason to extend the storyline and it creates a shocking moment to kick off the event, especially with it being on the pre-show. I mean, the the heel tactic for gaining the titles, obviously, it was Jimmy suspending Jay on top of Rey Mysterio and to give him a little, a little bit of extra leverage. It's basically like a pylon without the referee being able to see it. Um, so it does work in the fact that they are the big the big heel characters, at least they won in a heelish way. If they had won clean, I think that would have been like the biggest uproar ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like you know, this is again. It's for the purposes of extending the storyline and obviously creating a shocking moment. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to the actual opener of the show of the actual pay per view, we had the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Now it was either going to be the men's or the women's. So always a Money in the Bank ladder match is going to open the show. Now that they've got the women's and the men's, um, and we had Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Liv Morgan. Naomi, Natalia, Tamina, Selena Vega, and Nikki, almost superhero, taking on each other in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Now, just before we go into the match, who did you guys actually have Pep to win this? I actually had Zelina Vega because 
normally with Money in the Bank ladder match in the last sort of couple of years, there's always one that you think is going to be a massive outside bet, but they do end up winning it. So my um, my thinking was they've kept Zelina basically, you know, they brought her back for for SmackDown. They have her lose to Liv Morgan, but then that makes you think maybe they're saving her for a massive uh, victory at some point. So I was under the impression that you know maybe they'll quietly sneak her in and grab it, you know, when maybe say Liv's about to win it, because then that could feud her, oh, further her feud with Sonya Deville at some point. So, but yeah, I went I I went bold with the with the outside bet of Zelina Vega, but boy, was I completely wrong on that one. Grant, did you have a, a different person picked up on this? I was going with Liv Morgan. That was kind of to me out of everyone story wise. Um, the way she's been getting portrayed lately, she to me felt logically like possibly the best choice. Still, who did win? I think we can all agree we're happy. Yep. Uh, yeah. it, was su- it was such a shocker too because she had like six of them except Alexa Bliss who was buried under a pile of ladders <laughs> and Nikki just comes out of nowhere like an RKO and just swipes the briefcase when everybody else is fighting each other on the ladders it was such a such a shocking finish but in a pleasantly surprising way because I don't think we've ever seen anybody you know grab the briefcase when you know there's that many bodies up in the air yeah, it was it was definitely a strange one. Um, like I'm not gonna pretend that I'm amazing and everything, but I did actually pick Nikki to win it. And um, when we were doing the sweepstakes, but looking through it, I just kept making jokes. Um, because the last time that I had watched a new Legacy stream, they were booking a Selena, uh, a Zelina Vega Liv Morgan match, but the game kept crashing. So they it basically the match lasted for four hours. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then they basically went like told Johnny that this was happening that Selena's first feud back was with Liv Morgan and I think he's, he sort of like had a bit of a scary scream when that happened so it's stuff like that that I thought was fun but I did agree like I watching the match the biggest pop was for Liv Morgan like mm-hmm. there was the crowd was most behind her and the whole purpose, or what I believe the purpose of the Money in the Bank champion, um, not, not championship, briefcase is for, is to push the new superstar to, like, to the main event, like the next big person that they want to push, and um, because that's what happened with Edge, like that Money in the Bank propelled him to the like the basically the top of the food chain. It happened for CM Punk. There's lots of people, even well, I would say even Jack Swagger, but. Yeah. And that's why it made sense for when John Cena cashed in, he failed. And Baron Corbin, because that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there were some pretty good spots in the match. Like Alexa really, really surprised me as well. Because just standing there for the majority of the match, just staring. And just smiling and staring at people. And it got to the point that they had to like bury the spooky bitch under ladders. <laughs> I think that's the the perfect phrase, you know. I think there was, I think there was one point. I think Zelina was trapped in the corner with a ladder, and you know Alexa was climbing it like while it was wedged. It was just like climbing it, like a almost crawling it in a way. Like that yeah. was you could just see in her face. It was like back off, yes, spooky bitch. Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I still love Alexa Bliss's character, like taking the power from the fiends and everything. Like I. If it was going to be anyone that was going to be able to pull that off, it would be Alexa. So I'm not mad. I think it's still she's creepy as hell, and I, I do kind of love it. Like, and maybe unpopular opinion, but I'm 
Uh, I'm a big fan to see what happens next for Alexa Bliss, especially because she, at some point, did kind of like she didn't target Nikki at all during that match. Oh, they do have that history of being partners and stuff, but I think Alexa's probably going to go into a program with Eva Marie and Piper Devon. I mean, Viper, well, Piper, I should say, has had a history with spooky bitches. Um, <laughs> so it's not so bad. Um, but we're all happy that Nikki won the match. And we'll even just touch on it that she only held on to the briefcase for less than 24 hours. Um, she cashed in on the champion of the match that's going to be happening later on. Uh, to become the new Raw Women's Champion. Um, are you guys happy that it was just a quick cash-in? We won't say, obviously, well, it's been over 48 hours. We will spoil it in, like, a wee minute, but mm-hmm. do you think it was the right the right thing? Yeah, and because there were reports going around afterwards that uh, Vince loves the superhero gimmick, and that, you know, she could be in a position to be WWE's new social ambassador, you know, working with communities and families and kids as the gimmick, which is, I think, is really great. And obviously, Nikki in real life is a very, very good person, very nice person. And but it, I suppose from a statistical standpoint, you can at least she's keeping the trend alive of uh with the exception of Carmella, of course, the women's money in the bank winners not holding the briefcase for more than a day. Yeah, it's almost like it's like on fire. They're like, I don't want it, you have it. I don't want it, you have it. It's full-blown hot potato. Like, nobody's held it. Well, yeah, I think it, the, the total combined days of women hold, holding the Money Bank contract is like 291 days, and 287 of those are with Carmella. Yeah, I think it's like 12 days, like 12 hours. It's like the average time without Carmella. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite fun. Um but then we'll move on to the next match. Um, I, I don't really know what the story was behind leading into this match. So Dave, you will have to like fill me in on yes. uh, why AJ and Omos were defending their Raw Tag Team Championship against the Viking Raiders. So the Viking Raiders won a battle royal on Raw a few weeks ago uh, to That's become it. number one contenders. It was that was simply it, yeah. But they did have some, uh, they did have some backstage segments with uh, AJ and Omos almost like you know fighting over the turkey leg and essentially you know it was just to sort of build a a solid undercard match you know ahead when in what was already a very stacked card but you know what i liked about this match this match i think definitely this match over delivered for the position it was put in because it was it's the second match of the night it's coming off the back of one of the money in the bank ladder matches i expected to be no more than just simple filler but it was anything but like the number of near falls and the excitement involved that almost felt like he was getting pu- he was being pushed up another step you know say right okay the new day might have been a squash at wrestlemania but the viking raiders proved to be a much more difficult challenge and you just you, you actually thought maybe aj and almost could lose at some point and this was the first time the viking raiders have had, had a tag title match since ivar returned from from injury but yeah, this definitely was a hidden gem of this show, but AJ Omos retaining the titles probably was the right way to go. Yeah, Grant, do you agree? I know that you're not the biggest WWE guy, but you will still watch like the bigger pay-per-views. Aye, this is one of the pay-per-views that I do watch, and I like AJ with Omos. You know, AJ's made it clear he's kind of wanting to wind down in his later years, and as talented as he is, that he could just go into the main event and just fucking walk it. I like the fact that he's He's going with almost. He's kind of covering almost his weaknesses as a as a very fresh guy. And 
almost just looks a fucking monster, like mm-hmm. on a on a completely different level compared to some that we've seen in recent years. Like he's not had to go with any. It's not had to do a Braun Strowman come in with like a ridiculous character or anything like that to to show as a monster. It's just you know, fucking size him. What is he mm. like seven foot? Oh, seven three or something like the guy is. Yeah. A, I think there was a guy, uh, a guy on Twitter or a guy on Instagram. Uh, was he got a picture with Omos in his local gym? The guy who had the picture taken, he was about six foot tall, and Omos dwarfs him like literally. <laughs> I love it. I love it. it it's, it's scary how big Omos actually is. And that's it. Omos has came across, even his confidence, how confident he looks compared to even just back at Mania. He's come on leaps and bounds. He is learning from the best in the business. So it works out perfectly and it, they, they know how to use him, right? Mm-hmm. Utilise them in the most perfect way possible for a guy his size. And what better team than to go up against than the Viking Raiders who... While they're booking the last couple of years has maybe been a bit shaky at times, they put on consistently good matches. Oh yeah, definitely. And midway through the show, we were blessed with the WWE Championship match, which I'm I'm not surprised it went on slap bang in the middle of the show, because um, it is it felt like a very raw first half and then sort of smacked down towards like the the end of the show um, I think we just couldn't be bothered switching out the commentators with all <laughs> fairness they probably just went ah you know what yeah. <laughs> we'll keep them now, out <laughs> you know what I think it was actually I think this was to do with the pacing of the entire show like obviously you had the first Money in the Bank match which was a great way to kick off then you had your sort of lesser tag team title match to get you to sort of relax you a bit then you bring it back with sort of like a, a major championship match and you knew Bobby Lashley was reinvigorated following his uh, his talk with MVP on the go-home Raw, saying that he's going to snap Kofi Kingston like a twig. <laughs> and I kid you not, with the, this was the shortest match of the night by a, quite a bit. And he literally did what he said he was going to do, and he decimated Kofi like nobody's business. Yeah, I mean, he, he managed to get um, Kofi to sort of to tap out to, to the heart lock, um, which... The fact that this match is only like seven and a half minutes long, it makes you feel kind of bad for Kofi, knowing that like the recent championship matches that he had have been less than ten minutes. Mm. This was an absolute turd of a match. <laughs> it was right. awful. Yeah. What they were done to Kofi, they'd done him dirty again. Uh, but I, I get where you're coming from, Grant. But I think it was—I think the ends sort of justified the means for this one because, you know, it, it built on the story. You know, that you know there was maybe an inkling that Bobby Lashley has become soft a bit. You know, with him with all his partying with the champagne and the women and stuff. But this was like a—he's uh, flicking the switch back on to you know being the dominant, almighty Bobby Lashley. Uh, and I hate to see, you know, Kofi was sort of the unfortunate casualty in this, in this one, but it's not like he wasn't made to look strong, you know, going into the match. You know, you had Kofi and Woods, you know, getting him, getting the upper hand on him almost every step of the way. And then when the big match comes, you know, Bobby's fully switched on, he's fully focused. And the storytelling, I think, worked out brilliantly because that sets him up perfectly for SummerSlam. Mm. I mean, it does. It, it, it does. It does work out that way, um, and we will talk about like briefly 
what happened uh, the night after as well because Bobby Lashley has his his new challenger for the WWE Championship. But we had the Raw Women's Championship and it felt like the American version of Casey versus Evil. It just so many matches that these two women have had. It's not even that many that they've had, but it feels like a lot. Yeah, so this had, is their this is their third one on one, I think. In the space this, of in the space this, of eighteen months. Year. Oh. I was gonna say if that had been yeah. like since Charlotte's return, I would have been like for fuck's sake, but then they had like that one match at WrestleMania. Um, in the lockdown Um, but it feels like forever it feels like they're facing each other either in the ring or in a promo or something and I'm like just let them do something different while this feud is going on like acknowledge the other people in the women's division not just you know just chuck them into the ladder match there is still other women anyway ran over yeah You could hear the chat. You could hear the crowd at the, right at the start. You know they were chatting. We want Becky because there was rumours that you know she was in Fort Worth at the time and she, and that she was backstage at Money in the Bank. But I, I'd seen somewhere that some of those reports were actually false. So I'm not really sure what to make of it. But you could. I think the what, what the point is the crowd reaction. You know the We want Becky chance and Charlotte just. <laughs> you could tell she was fuming because <laughs> she was just flipping everybody off when that happened. It was brilliant. It's just the fact that see the um I don't know if they did it well live um but see on the the edited bit after they've actually blacked it out. It was cut out, yeah. I saw that come up when I was watching it on the network, but I think I just caught the tail end of Charlotte giving everybody the finger. Yeah, so that was a bit fun, but like the match did eventually get turned into this is awesome. Um, which it was still a good match. The the two women put on like a decent like fifteen sixteen minute match, and Charlotte made via tap out to the figure eight, which I don't know about you, but Charlotte's figure eight is getting higher and higher and higher into the air. Hey, have you seen her workout videos with her, with, uh, with Andrade? Like, yeah. you know, she's been working and, you know, I, I imagine, you know, she's been practicing, you know, having to work that figure eight, you know, get that bridge working well. But I, that wasn't my favorite spot, you know, with the putting her leg in the steel stairs and then crushing it between the, that and the pole. It was the, it was the natural selection from the turnbuckle. Like, why doesn't she do that more often? It, it, that looks that looked devastating, like that that move. And I thought she was going to win off that too. So I mean, so many again, so many near falls and near falls. The drama, the tension, the storytelling—it was all perfect. Like, I I've got no complaints about this match, you know, apart from its repetitiveness. But why they didn't just end with the the second rope natural selection? I think that would have been a brilliant way to incorporate and. Like it basically is giving Charlotte's finisher an upgrade. I mean, definitely. I kind of liked um, when she was trying to do the dirty pin and putting her legs on the rope, and then the referee caught her, and she just sort of looks going, "I didn't do anything. What are you talking about?" It's like <laughs> slowly bring the legs down. It's like, oh no, I got caught doing a bad. Oh dear. <laughs> oh, I was I was howling at that bit, but yeah, natural selection like off off the turnbuckle and off the ropes. It's a good upgrade to like a very, very simple move that she has. Um, but everyone knows that her finisher is essentially the figure eight. Like natural selection is sort of like a secondary finisher. Um so putting all that and the fact that she was making the work on Rhea's legs, we we knew it was gonna end with the figure eight. Mm. Um, I think that's the second time she's made Rhea submit as well. Yep. That and that in WrestleMania. Yep. Yep. 
Um, and then we'll, we'll come on to the men's Money in the Bank ladder match. Um, I would say this was still a really big spot fest, but the one thing I do want to address was how much the crowd were not behind Drew whatsoever. Former mm. champion that basically carried the lockdown era and they were just not behind him whatsoever. But I don't know if that was down to what like the rep- the very big repetitiveness that's been going on with him and Bobby Lashley for the like majority of the year, um, or the fact that we had people like Seth Rollins and Big E in the Money in the Bank ladder match. Uh, I think I could probably put this down to people just not wanting Drew to win because they've seen him in that many WWE title matches. So I think they just wanted to. They just wanted somebody new, essentially. So I don't think it was a dig at him. But he did cut a very cheesy promo earlier on, I must admit. Like, I mean, I thought the the promo about saying that his sword was made from a tooth of the Loch Ness Monster was cringy. But that was... Uh, this one definitely was up there with it. But the match itself, match of the night, easily. Like, I mean, I, I appreciate it's meant to be a spot fest because, you know, it's, it's a ladder match and the guys pull off some absolutely insane tricks like ricochet pulls out a shooting star press springboard move like almost right off the bat uh when john morrison and seth rollins were having a a drip off as it were and then (laughs) those two working together throughout i think that was quite a nice alliance but i feel i feel most sorry for kevin owens who too easily took the most punishment you know he was uh he was slammed onto a a ladder that was placed vertically rather than flat down, which is a killer on your back. And as if his back wasn't messed up enough, he's the one that ends up getting powerbombed to the outside through the bridged ladder. And I honestly, like, given the way he held his neck afterwards, I legitimately thought he'd broken his neck from that. So it was quite worrying to see him like that. Mm-hmm. There was some pretty good spots. I mean, even Ricochet basically flying I wouldn't have said no to Ricochet actually winning this match, um, but do you do you think the decision to have probably the favourite of Big E winning the contract, Grant? Do you think like Big E winning the Money in the Bank um, ladder match was the right move? Aye, I think it was a it was a it was it was the right move. Um, probably one of the few right moves they've done because I didn't get a chance to say anything about the Rhea and Charlotte one there before, but because. Charlotte with that fucking belt again, I swear to fucking God. <laughs> but, you know, it's good to actually get a word done on this one. Um, but, yeah, Big E winning, reasonable choice. Uh, Rollins has had the belt, that like the money in the bank before. It wouldn't have made sense. Um, Drew, he's had his run. It'll come back eventually. Riddle was probably the only other one who I could see reasonably having a good a good shout with the, the briefcase. And only for the, the idea in my mind it would be if Riddle had won money in the bank and eventually cashed in and won the championship, it would lead to him and Orton go to loggerheads. I mean, I could have hopefully seen like Randy Orton coming in and RKOing Riddle because he took the RKO. <laughs> it's like, no, that's my move. Mm. Be, Riddle channeling Randy Orton in the RKOs, I think that was quite a quite a nice touch for sure. It feels like a men version of Trish and Mickey James. Like the white, like white single femaleing on. But <laughs> <laughs> like that's I think it's like, Randy Orton's just gonna get sick of him because the whole serious and the jokester, or sorry, serious and the stoner, um, worked when it was Pete Dunne because Pete Dunne is 
more of a sour-faced bastard than what Randy Orton is. <laughs> Randy Orton just doesn't give a shit anymore. Um, so I think that's what worked better. Um, but everyone knows that I, I don't like Riddle. Um, I don't care if the accusations against him have been dropped. Uh, I, I don't care. I still don't like him. So, but have, having big win, especially since um, he's been introduced back as a singles competitor, um, and like he had a great Intercontinental Championship run. I think it's time to give Big E a nice big propel. Um, and it gives means to um, either cashing in on Bobby Lashley because he'd be up his pal, um, or he could be the one to take down Roman Reigns, if we don't know. Um, but coming on to the main event, it was a stellar main event of the two men of Spears with Roman and Edge. Um, Grant. This was just—it was actually a really good match. I don't know if you if you agree there, but I, I fairly enjoyed it. Aye, this is this is the most mind blowing thing is we are getting a Roman Reigns who like Roman's not really changed much of what he does in the ring, but finally putting the heel persona on him makes it so much more enjoyable. And having Edge had a fucking barnstormer of a match. It was beautiful. Yeah, and Dave, see, since Roman's resurgence as a heel character, it's exactly what he needed, and I'm so glad he got rid of his music. I'm so yeah. glad he's got new music. Because <laughs> mm. as long as he had that music, he was living in the, the past with the shield and stuff, but mm. uh, it took me a while to get used to his new music and stuff, but he's a, it's actually really sort of grown on me a bit. But this this is a dream match right here that came, came to reality. Uh, you know, the, the spear off, as it were, I, I admit, obviously, it was a slow burner and stuff, but, you know, with any of these sort of big, high-profile main events, it's got to be a, a slow burner to work properly. And I remember falling asleep when I was watching it live, so I had to pick up on it watching it the next day. And, yeah, it was it was pretty spectacular. You know, everything from, you know, making the most of that that portion of the steel chair where he cross-faces him, uh you know, each of them hitting spears on each other. And, yeah, the, the involvement of the Usos and the Mysterios as well. I knew it's another element to the story. It's, it was definitely worth the wait. That's what I'll say about that one. Mm-hmm. I, I particularly like the finish of the match as well. Um, it was also, like, I was basically doing my own version of commentary going, here's my spear. Well, I'm going to one-up you. Here's my spear. Because, let's just face it, it's like, who's got the better spear? Which I'm going to ask you right now. Who's got the better spear? Edge, of course. I think I'd be more nervous about taking Romans. He's a much bigger guy. <laughs> I could hear the, like, the hesitation. You're like, I don't want to say it, but I, I kind of should. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Like, I, I, look at, I look at the build of them, and Romans... He's younger, he's bigger built, he's faster. You just didn't want to take that. Well, I'm going to say the Moose Spear is the best. Just just because. <laughs> <laughs> just because. Um, but that wasn't even like the end of the show. Um, we had the big return of big match John Cena himself and the pop. The pop for John Cena to come back after... It's been since April 2020 since, you know, he got killed in the Firefly Funhouse by Bray Wyatt, or we lost him to the Firefly Funhouse. He's, he's escaped and he's come back. Uh, Dave, the pop for John Cena 
and the fact that this is setting up Roman Reigns and John Cena at SummerSlam. Oh. That pop alone was incredible. Like you, you wouldn't, you would never get a response like that from inside the Thunderdome, even from a virtual audience. Like you needed a crowd to experience that, and boy, did it deliver! It was probably the loudest pop I've heard since maybe Dolph Ziggler's cash in. Uh, like, and nobody was chanting "John Cena sucks" I along was. with the song. <laughs> like it. People were genuinely happy to see him. Yeah, and obviously, um, Grant, you've got like one of the biggest baby faces to ever step through the doors of WWE, despite maybe him trying a couple of heel turns, um, to come out and face what is currently the biggest heel in WWE. It, it sets up a very good SummerSlam match. We've always wanted Roman Reigns versus The Rock. Um, and that'll probably happen maybe at WrestleMania next year when they can actually do full capacity fans. But how do you feel about um, Big Match John returning? Um, in that minority that does not give a fuck. He's another part-timer. <laughs> Done with him. Honestly, could not. I, I get the pop. I get why people like it. But no, I just do not. like. There's, they, they have a whole roster of talent that could be inserted into that match for SummerSlam that could go a great way but no no let's just let's just bring john cena in well we could talk about this in comparison to what happened on monday night raw um shortly after keith lee made his return to to raw after a long a prolonged injury first of all getting taken out by covid then second of all getting taken out by i think jeff hardy was the one that took him out essentially no it wasn't jeff no, it wasn't Jeff. It was uh, was it not the Hurt Business? Oh yeah, it was Bobby Lashley. I'm thinking of Karrion Cross, which that, I'm not even going to get into that. Please don't. Um, <laughs> but Keith Lee made a big return, only to get killed by Bobby Lashley, and then his music hits. But Goldberg's Goldberg. Uh, Grant, see when you said that you weren't even happy about John Cena, how did you feel about Goldberg? I seized with anger. <laughs> Like, I know you don't like part-timers, but Goldberg saying, coming out and saying that he's next, and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I'm already angry enough about about what Bobby Lashley done to Buddy, and Bobby Lashley's got the personality of a wet fart in a, in a spacesuit. <laughs> and then you bring Oldberg. Oldberg's like the fart in a spacesuit with a follow-through. <laughs> it's the old man that just doesn't know when to give up. He's just like, I'm still 21. And you're like, me, no, you're not. Absolutely not. No <laughs> chance. To just, like, he's, he's too old. He, 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 like, he, he bursts his gas tank. Like, once it has like three minutes, Like it's, it's just as exhausting talking about a Goldberg match as it is. Like, it must be for him to last three minutes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's knackered before he even gets to the ring. But um, this is also the the rumoured match for SummerSlam that you've got Bobby Lashley and Goldberg. Dave, do you, are you looking forward to the match? Do you care? I don't know. I've got mixed feelings on it because if they do... I mean, if they're going to do the usual routine of three minutes of Goldberg, you know, spear, jackhammer, Bobby kicks out, reverses a, a clothesline into the heart lock and then that's it, game over. I mean... I mean, it'll be what it'll be, uh, but I'm not going to be holding my breath over it. I mean, if they can pull out 
something like uh, what they did with Drew at the Royal Rumble, it might turn out okay because nobody was very optimistic about that either. But you know what? I think it might be worth just waiting and see what happens because you never know. It might just turn out to be okay. I hope Bobby Lashley knocks his teeth out. That'll be funny. But that was the sort of big goings on, apart from Karrion Cross uh, making his way to to Monday Night Raw, splitting him off from Scarlett on the main roster, which I am not happy about. You have your NXT champion getting beat by Jeff Hardy. <laughs> just, just no. I'm not. I, that's what oh. I'm going to say. Just no, and we're yeah. going to move on to funner stuff. <laughs> which this week there was a lot of rumors kicking around the wrestling scene. Uh, the first one being that CM Punk is apparently making his return to wrestling. Don't know how. Um, I was kind of hoping that people jumped the gun because the last time he was in a wrestling ring was for Stephen Amell's new TV show Heels, which starts in August, which CM Punk will be part of, and I'm buzzing for it. Um, but, Garrett, I'll quickly get both your thoughts um, on the possibility of CM Punk returning to wrestling. Uh, Grant, do you, do you think it it's necessary? No, I didn't think it was necessary last year. In fact, I think it's I think it's maybe been at least maybe three or four years. I think Punk's best chance to come back was all in three years ago. Oh yeah. If he'd done it there and then, it would have set the world on fire. I now mean, it's it's just it's just a constant returning rumor. I think it's more yeah. likely we'll prove that the Bermuda Triangle actually has aliens in it or something like that. <laughs> or that the Bermuda Triangle really is just a dim- patch a new dimension. Or a rhombus. It's not a triangle, it's a rhombus, maybe. <laughs> uh, the Bermuda rhombus. But, Dave, do you, do you think it's necessary? Especially because the next big pay-per-view for um, All Elite Wrestling is going to be in Chicago, um, which is the, obviously we know is the hometown of CM Punk. Do you really think it's necessary for especially these rumours to be kicking around now? I mean, it certainly gets the wheels turning, you know, if the AEW's next big show is going to be in Chicago. I, I, I think I can almost guarantee that CM Punk chants are going to be kicking the show right off and will probably continue throughout the night. But as for Punk returning, I've just lost interest in it, if I'm being honest, because, you know, last time I saw him, like, properly in a match was Royal Rumble 2014, and then that's when he walked out. Like... I mean, sure, he got involved with UFC and stuff, but that wasn't enough to sort of pique my interest back in him a bit. It was, I think, I, I honestly think the ship has sailed for him, and I'm not sure how he would fit into the AEW roster when it's already stacked as it is, not with just, you know, big names on Dynamite and stuff, but also a wealth of up-and-coming talent that are constantly getting featured on their on their secondary shows. I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is also the fact that Rampage is going to be kicking off um, the night, like this Friday before. Um, obviously, on Friday the 13th of August, of all all days to hold your your debut show on Friday the 13th, oh, Tony Khan is brave. He is brave. Uh, and the, the other rumour is that we have that Brian Danielson has possibly signed with the AEW with the possibility of him debuting in September after All Out. Um, again, guys, I don't know about you. I love Daniel Bryan. I love him to pieces. But 
I think like there may have been just a come a time that he can walk away on his own without having to sign to a new company. Um, Dave, what would be your your thoughts on Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson joining AEW? I'd be more keen to see Brian than I would Punk, actually, because you know he's still fresh in the mind of WWE fans because his departure was uh, it was sort of as normal as you can get. You know, they're actually following through with a you must leave SmackDown stipulation and he legitimately left as a result. So, I mean, he's now, I mean, he's 40 years old now and he can still go. So, I don't know. He might fit into a role where, you know, they might have Big Show or Paul White and Mark Henry do. You know, they have analytical type roles, but they could still have the opportunity to get in the ring. That, I think, would suit Brian quite well. But if he wants to compete full time, then all the more power to him because he has expressed, you know, he wants to try and wrestle in Japan. And I think a contract with AEW not only gives him a solid body of work, but it also gives him the chance to travel through the forbidden door. I was going to say, Grant, they haven't actually released the entrance for the G1 this year, have they? Nope. The G1 is not happening till later in the year due to the Olympics. Um, so, and Brian has been very, very vocal for a long time now about how much he wants to go and do more in Japan and get up against more Japanese talent. Um, he's put out numerous lists of dream matches that he still wants to happen. And let's face it, they're never going to happen if he stays in WWE and he himself wants to kind of get this itch out before his time is up, before he's passed it. So I'm I'm calling it, I'm calling AEW, and it's mainly for the reason that it will then allow him to enter into that work with Japan. Mm-hmm. He's, probably, he's probably looked at what Moxley's done. Moxley's got the likes of Nagata and stuff like that, and Brian have looked and going, this is the shit that I want. To me, the American dragon. Brian Danielson against the Dragon Shingo Takagi. That's a dream match. Oh, well, see, this is why I'm thinking it might be a possibility that it might just be one of the entrants for the G1. You never know. Can you imagine? Oh, it would be amazing. Um, but I've actually just been sent something very, very quickly. It's a, it's a breaking... It, I would say it's not even breaking news, but AEW have actually officially signed Thunder Rosa to their brand. Um, so... Thunder, Thunder Rosa is officially all elite as of today. Um, I was long, over, long overdue. Very well long overdue. So hopefully like she might be a future um, AEW Women's Champion. Because we had other things that was going on. I mean, Grant, our boy Hiromu Takahashi has been clear to return to wrestling with the G1 very, very close. And yes. I think he's a shoo-in for the G1 year i don't think the G- i don't think he's going to be for g1 i think it's been best of super juniors plus i'm thinking about i'm thinking about what's going to happen at the dome this sunday oh yeah well tell us think at the dome this sunday the dome this sunday the first match is toru yano is defending his king of pro wrestling and <laughs> a new ram in a new japan rambo match with handcuffs with handcuffs uh, uh, dave are you familiar with a new japan rambo match not a clue. Right. Grant, tell the tale of the Rambo match and especially the stipulation and like with the handcuffs, because Dave, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a whale of a time with this. <laughs> Let's hear it. So the Rambo to an extent works very similar to a Royal Rumble. You start it with so many people, people come in every so often, but unlike a Royal Rumble match, you can win by over the top rope elimination, you can do pinfall, you can do submission. But 
they have now added this wonderful stipulation with handcuffs where say you get someone outside the ring because you don't go over the top rope if you handcuff them to the outside on the barricade that counts as an elimination and Yano thought this was a funny idea because could you imagine the humiliation of getting handcuffed and having to watch the rest of the match (laughs) while you're handcuffed to the outside oh wow if they get handcuffed as well just in general that, that counts as an elimination Bad. it's it's an absolute it's going to be absolute pure hilarity that that's just going to be chaos um it's the dome card is nice and, and nice and tight there's only five matches in the main card we've got an iwgp junior heavyweight tag match to open with el phantasmo and taiji ishimori bullet club's oh. cutest tag team against my heroes the mega coaches rocky romero and ryusuke taguchi oh rocky romero i love rocky in the second match, this is why I'm thinking best of Super Juniors. We have Robbie Eagles vs El Desperado for the Junior oh. Heavyweight Championship. I'm oh. putting my money on it. El Desperado is going to retain and Hiromu is going to come out and challenge him. Oh, yeah. This was a match that was meant to happen so long ago and we never got it. I know. I'm still sad. Then we have Oka- Okada vs Jeff Cobb. Big, oh. big, oh. big lad. We tour of the islands. Oh, Cobb's been looking phenomenal. The fact that he caught Okada mid-drop kick recently was a thing of beauty. We have the only rematch on the card, the new recently crowned heavyweight tag team champions of Sanada and Naito are going to defend against dangerous techers. As of today recording, they had a singles match each. Sanada and Zack Sabre Jr. having probably the most beautiful double pin tie finisher I have ever seen in my life. It's a thing of beauty. Um, tai Chi beat Naito so there's a little bit of momentum to Techers and the main event which is sadly in jeopardy <laughs> is Kota Ibushi v Shingo Takagi Ibushi oh. has been diagnosed with pneumonia, pneumonia they thought it was side effects from the vaccine turns out it's not um, they say they will have a final decision on Saturday the 24th the day before the Dome card if Ibushi isn't fit for it I don't know who's going to step in this place and it better not body be Okada I mean, well, Okada's got his own match, thankfully enough, so there's a less likely chance. But y- you and I both know, Grant, that Kotobushi would have to be dead for him not to wrestle because he's that off his head. That's it, he's a wrestling god. He sees himself as god. He's he's a, he's a man that I, I do believe he actually believes himself when he says that there is not 24 hours in day. I think he said there's 27. Yeah. And that he doesn't, what- trust, he doesn't trust books because he put thoughts in his head. Ibushi works on a different mindset from any other human being and I've never seen anyone risk their neck so much in my life. I swear, we still, we still need to get an Ibushi appreciation show just to talk about the mind. Like, as a psychologist, shouldn't I want to study his brain? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know um, if there is a brain or if it's just muscle in there. Just, hey, what, we, we, why don't we pencil it in for this year's Christmas uh, feature show? What, and take it away from this? It's not Visser this year, though, is it? Nope, it's not no, Visser no, was last year. Oh, okay, we'll pencil it in. Gary, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll we'll round out the show um, with the most recent episode of Dynamite because not even to excuse the pun, it was actual Dynamite. It was probably one of the best Dynamite shows that I have seen in a long time. And it's, there was just lots of goings on. I mean, you had a spot where Sting and Orange Cassidy beat the living crap out of each other but they really didn't but 
it was a small spot like that. Sting kicking off with a small kick. Orange coming back with his kick. And then the both stepping back to do a wee super kick with each other. But it's small things like that that I liked. But the other things that happened, there was other things that happened. We had a debut. Grant, Nick Effin Gage is in AEW and he is going to be taking on the return of the pain maker, Chris Jericho, next week on Dynamite. I don't know what's going to happen, especially because Jericho's decided he's going to be the pain maker again. Um, but I kind of fear for Chris Jericho's life. I don't know if this is what writes him out of AEW going to with Fozzy. I know, like going up against Nick Gage in a no DQ match. MDK, MDK, motherfucker, murder, death, kill. Like th- th- this is going. To, this is I- I've never even dreamed of seeing Nick Gage on a major promotion on television. Holy shit, this is going to be like I've been following people's reactions on like Twitter and Instagram, mm-hmm. and it is unanimous. People are fucking hyped for this. Yeah. Um, Jericho going back to the dodgy Black Parade gimmick. We're all, we're all gonna have it. We're all gonna have a good laugh at that as well. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I mean, Dave, how familiar are you with Nick Gage? Uh, not very familiar, unfortunately. But you know, after the way Grant described it, I think a no DQ stipulation against Chris Jericho sounds like it'll be definitely worth watching. He almost killed um, David David um, Arquette. Yeah, so, he know. nearly <laughs> he nearly killed David Arquette. He's robbed a bank without a mask, stabbed a man in the jugular. You know, there is no stop. And plus. He's, been, he's currently um, in GCW having a feud with Matt Cardona, and Matt Cardona is even bringing out his death match side. And I was very surprised that the first match for Nick Gage is actually Chris Jericho. It's probably going to work up to the biggest of death matches with John Moxley um, kicking in there, which that'll just be out of carnage. I think those two will kill each other. Um, <laughs> but. Very much looking forward to Nick Gage. Um, Daniel's reaction when Justin Roberts was talking through the introduction. Uh, no, it was MGF that was talking through the introduction. He went, no. Wait, no. What? <laughs> like, obviously, I'd, I'd seen what happened in the group chat. Um, so knowing that, I was just like sitting watching his reaction. It was cold. Another one that we had, another wrestling royalty join the ranks in AEW. Andrade El Idolo went and introduced his new advisor, I'm sure he was calling it, in Chavo Guerrero. Dave, after being brought into AEW by Vicky Guerrero to now be advised by Chavo Guerrero and is going into a feud with Death Triangle, it is a spectacular chef kisses. Oh, shut up and take my money. Like, this is... (laughs) Andrade is... Getting booked, uh, you know, he's, you know, the the hot, he's getting booked as like the hot, the new hot shot in AEW. And with support from arguably the most famous wrestling family of, of all time, the Guerreros, you know, Vicky brings him in and now he's got Chavo helping him out. Like, I've not seen Chavo Guerrero in this sort of capacity since you know, WWE released him all the way, like, back in like eight years ago, I think it might have been. But yeah, I think this is a, this will be great for, for Chavo to to get involved as well. And this feud with the Death Triangle, like, they, the Lucha Brothers are saying, well, Pac was saying to Andrade that the Lucha Brothers don't work for Pac and like, they're a brotherhood, kind of like mm-hmm. Undisputed Era, but um, uh, that's besides the point. I, that immediately says to me, my instinctive reaction is, what if the Lucha Brothers turn on Pac 
and they join Andrade's sort of little uh, conglomerate. Well, there's a big possibility. I mean, there was one word, Grant, that Andrade kept saying, and what that one, that lovely, lovely word that we know very well in New Japan, it 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 gave you chills, didn't it? Tranquilo. Oh, yes. Tranquilo. 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 Oh, it gives you chills because there is the possibility that yeah, Phoenix and Penta may actually defect, and you know, taking Alex Abrahant, like taking Alex Abrahantis with them because. Alex is looking like a proper gangster now. I don't know if you guys love it, but I am loving Alex. <laughs> um, so it's like Penta says, and you're like, oh, like it gives character to him. Um, but you never know, this could begin the other version of um, Lost in God and Nables, which we know that um, Andrade has been known to influence, I would say. Um, and if not, like, basically create um, that sort of spin-off that we now have in Japan with Naito. Um, and also the fact that it's been rumoured that a lot of New Japan guys are going to be coming over to America. Obviously, you've got New Japan Strong, and then they've been hinting for Impact. That It seems that they've sort of got this three-way uh, agreement going on with those, with those people at the moment, because you've also had, in the main event... I know, very smoothly done, Sarah. Thank you very much, Sarah. <laughs> um, that we had a Texas death match with Lance Archer, former uh, IWGP US champion against who was the current uh, IWGP US champion in John Moxley. Those two always put on a great match, especially when it comes to a Texas death match. Grant, John Moxley bringing a fork... Uh, uh, he brought it to, like, obviously, either he got the idea from Sam McCallaghan or he snuck out the house without Renee knowing. Yeah, I mean, that was like, the fact because this was like a pretty much a rematch of what they done last year, and that was also a Texas death match. But to me, the difference was the presentation. The Texas death match in Japan felt not quite like a death match, it definitely felt a bit more hardcore than their usual New Japan matches. But last, last night, they they went on a tear, like they they like this this is un undoubtedly an awesome death match. Archer and Moxley have got fantastic chemistry. Archer being the big man, Moxley being just that absolutely ruthless bloody underdog, and even the way the finish was done, it was so clever because Moxley does not look bad in 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 the end result of this. Yeah, exactly. And if it's like both men, I was like, blood, there's blood. I say if there's no blood in like a death match, then it's not a death match. Like, even if it's an ODQ or if it's a hardcore match, if there's no blood, it's not a match. It's like you need to have blood for it to be, you know, valid, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, but Dave, I know that you're not very familiar with New Japan. Um, do you think it was a shock, however, to see a New Japan title belt change hands on a non-New Japan show? Uh, well, I think given the setup they've got, it doesn't really surprise me, but I was... Because obviously, you know, Moxley defended against Carl Anderson the week prior, and I was wondering, maybe they're just showcasing the title rather than, you know... I didn't think they were actually going to have it change hands on a non-New Japan show. But again, I keep coming back to the Forbidden Door. Like, they can... It looks like they're okay with it to, to go ahead, 
And the match itself, it definitely lived up to the hype, especially when the exploding barbed wire death match didn't quite go according to plan towards the end. But that finish, though, where he, he chokeslammed him through those barbed wire tables, I think the, the best way to look make Moxley look strong in that finish was to do it by knockout. Because I think by submission, it wouldn't have been as effective. Like he needed, They needed a big spot to close the match. And with the the ten count KO, I think that was that was just the cherry on top for what was already a brutal match. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Grant, one quick thing: you'll understand what I mean when I say this, but Rocky Romero deserves more than what he's getting paid for because this basically would not none of this would probably happen with like his connections. I would say I think Rocky Romero deserves more money. Yeah, Rocky's been like a big huge. Like, he's been a big part of like bringing in foreign talent into Japan and the work that he's done with them for strong and also bring talent into like the Japan side of things has been nothing short of outstanding. And this relationship that's came about to the point that we're looking at, we now pretty much almost have what we pretty much there's hints of NWA. We have yeah. Impact. We have New Japan. We have all. It is pretty much everyone. Apart from WWE, because I mean that's Nick Gage kind of brings in your GCW yep. element as well, and the, the like the, the challenge for the, the IWGP, like the, to see the US title getting defended so much lately, and we have Hikuleo coming out, who love love my boy Hikuleo, had a tennis oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got a picture with him, and I'm like half his size. <laughs> that was such a that was that's that's a beautiful thing. It's like because. You, you look at people, you go, oh, they're big. Even I look tiny compared to Hikuleo. Yeah, this boy's a big boy. Like, he's probably... How tall is he? He's got to be, he's got to be bordering on seven foot. Oh. It is, you know, he's, he's another one of Haku's sons. You know, that's a hardcore family. Oh, I know. Honestly, the younger brother of the girl of destiny as well. And you're just like... Oh my God. Now he is apparently billed at six foot eight. My balls, he's taller than that. <laughs> like that's what he's billed at. Um, which the boy's only thirty years old as well. Um, but yeah, he's he's billed at six foot eight. He's definitely taller than that. He's a big boy, but he was actually shown quite a lot in the crowd. Um, thankfully sitting down. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> like the poor camera guy would have had to like break his neck. To, to show how high it was, but he made his way out to the ring to stare down uh, Lance Archer, knowing that um, whoever was going to win that Texas death match was actually going to defend the title um, against Hickory, I think it's next week on Dynamite, um, which, again, it's a, it's a great showing of that. It's not even Forbidden Door anymore. It just seems like the big understanding. It feels like Tony Khan has saved wrestling outside of WWE. It's a forbidden, <laughs> it's a forbidden house. Everyone's crashing at it. It's theater. Wrestle House. It is Wrestle House, all right. And Tommy Dreamer is the king of everything. But that's just because I loved Wrestle House when it happened at Impact. But I would say it's it's definitely bringing together the biggest promotions that you have outside of WWE as a big collective unit. It's like we're not against WWE, but we're with each other. That I think that's the sort of message that they're they're maybe trying to send. Um, but I, I do believe that Tony Khan may have saved independent wrestling and just <laughs> and just <laughs> saved the fans. And you know, he is the the man that the fans all needed to to bring everything to life, which it's great. And then next week as well, 
there's going to be a big announcement from Tony Khan um, regarding a show. Hopefully, hopefully they will be making their way across the pond to the UK um, because we know that the Jags are going to be playing in London um, in October. Funny enough, I have that weekend off <laughs> because I'm hoping to catch. I'm hoping to catch that game. Um, we have, have Comic Con announcements for New Japan, uh, not New Japan, sorry, AW talents, because I'm going to meet Omega and Britt Baker and Jungle Boy in Wales, and I'm also going to meet Darby and and stuff in in Edinburgh. So you know, amazing. Exactly. Yeah, everything got, everything is pointing towards it. Everything is yeah. pointing towards it. So we'll keep an eye um, on Dynamite next week. You'll no doubt seeing. All of us probably reacting if it is to do with U- with a UK show, which it would it would probably just be the cherry on top. We all know that we want AEW to come to the UK and it will sell out no matter what will happen. There will be guaranteed to be a sellout show. Um, but to round off the best central ever, because the McLeods aren't here, uh, I would like to thank... Grant and Dave for coming on and being such great guests and obviously not even guests my equals you guys are my equals we were chatting wrestling we had a good time but Grant thank you very much it's been a pleasure thank you for having me again uh, and Dave thank you very much for providing more insight and learning about uh, <laughs> a handcuffed um, Rambo match oh, oh we have breaking news we have breaking news oh, oh, oh. Have- wait oh, wait we do the NXT UK Championship match between Walter and Ilya Dragunov will take place at NXT TakeOver 36 on August 22nd. Oh, yay! The one after SummerSlam. Yeah. Yay! Excellent. Well, that's oh, really there you nice. go. That is nice because we know that Walter has actually got an injured hand at the moment and this is still going to happen. Ilya, yep. Ilya, let's go! That, I mean, if the, it's gonna, if the, if the NXT UK title is going to change hands, it, it has to change now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I have to say, Sarah, that's probably the nicest thing you've ever said to me uh, on this show. Uh, but yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. <laughs> you guys make it sound like I'm not nice. I'm nice, goddammit. Um, but yeah, and guys, if you haven't listened this week, I really suggest that you listen to this week's feature show. It was released a week early uh, due to I don't know what error. <laughs> but the Christian Cage Appreciation Show, led by myself, of all people, who else was going to lead that show? I mean, come on. Uh, was released a week early. Um, so this week, we've got the Christian Cage Appreciation Show streaming. We've got them um, got on Spotify, iTunes, all Android podcasting sites. And then next week, they will be talking about the invasion, which was meant to be this, uh, this week's show. So don't get confused when it starts plugging the Christian Cage Appreciation Show the next week. Um, and for me, I have been Sarah Grieve and it has been a pleasure hosting this week's episode of Central. And I hope you all have a great rest of the week. Hello, I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts. Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. <laughs>